For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by F.L. Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with... FL's Josh Miller. Welcome back, Josh. Hello, Dan. And tonight on the show, we'll be speaking with Andrew Murray of Spotful, a growing Montreal-based company uh, doing some very interesting web and design work around the world. So we'll talk to Andrew in a little while. Um, we'll also talk about taxes, of course. It's uh, your busy time of the season, and Nick Moretis will be by to talk about some international tax issues, uh, including capital gains exemptions, permanent, permanent establishment issues, and more. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. That is later in the program. So our tax guru, Nick, will be along with us. Uh, but first, a look at some of the entrepreneurial stories of the week and uh, our question of the week uh, about uh, entrepreneur challenges coming from our, our group. And uh, this one is from, uh, from my colleague, Lara. And uh, here's her question for this week, Josh. If a client isn't convinced about your pricing, how can you change their mind, especially if you're sort of in the creative sector? And what's the best way for newer businesses to establish uh, um, decent pricing models? Uh, hypnosis and brainwashing always work well because then you don't really get that many questions. Uh, but it, it it definitely, you know, the, the I think consumers are becoming a little savvier, a little pickier. There's a lot of information online, yet they pick and choose what they want to read and want to hear and want to understand. So it really takes a lot of time and effort and energy to educate your customer about what they're actually spending their money on. They might think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm paying somebody to take care of my social media. What does that really mean? Uh, they're just uh, throwing a few words every other day. It takes no time. It's like 30 seconds a day. What am I paying for? Well, but the reality is, you know, we, we know content is king, as everybody says, and it takes a lot more energy, a lot more effort, a lot more thought. Uh, it's, it's not just about throwing a few words down, as you very well know, Dan, uh, and I, I'm sure Andrew could, could say the same thing, that so it comes down to educating your customer. And say, listen, we in our in our field too, in our professional field, it's because it's not cheap. There, you know, professional services are big, like any other, and it's basically what did you do for that money? And they don't always see what happens behind the scenes, so you kind of have to dissect a little bit, as boring and dreadful as it sounds, dissect a little bit and go into it. Sometimes people are better off in person, face to face, so you can kind of gauge your reaction. I prefer that, however. There's a lot to be said for just typing out an email and saying, this is the black and white of it and move on from there because maybe you're giving them more information. They just said, you know what? They'll throw their hands up in the air. What about saying, hey, look at these competitors. Uh, we, we're better priced than them. Is that, is that good or is that sort of giving, giving the customer options? I, I think it, if it works to your advantage, absolutely. Now, if there's there's always going to be somebody cheaper than you. So the question is, what's your value proposition? What are you selling them? What do you really bring to the table that's not the same like everybody else? If you're a commodity and you're bringing the exact same thing as everybody else, then yeah, you might as well, you better beat your competitor's price. But if there's some, because your client's always going to say, but my friend said that, but my friend pays that without really knowing what their friend is actually paying for. So it's good to have that 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 comparison to competitors, but it can't be the only thing. There's got to be a little bit of meat. And in turn, you want your customer to sell for you. 
the reality is most people get their business for referrals from existing customers. It takes far less energy to sell an existing customer than it does to sell a brand new one. So let them understand what you do. Let them see the value that they're bringing, that they're, they're quote unquote, happy to pay for the service. And then they can be properly educated and sell kind of your product or your service to their friends. So it, it can actually work very much to your advantage and in a, a bit of a business development mode if you answer that question properly. And uh, thanks very much for the advice, Josh. And uh, speaking of um, sort of content and social media, this uh, uh, entrepreneurial stories from the Financial Post a little while back, stop selling the hard truth of social media marketing. And this, this I think, is something I'm going to be largely on board with uh, because a lot of people treat social media as, a, I suppose, a just a unlimited advertising platform, but it's more than that. It, it is. And I, I think today, you know, people don't necessarily buy from a social media ad, but you can get visibility. You can brand yourself. You can create that that look and feel that you're trying to 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 portray of your business. But if you're going to go and boost your post because you're trying to sell a seminar and somebody, I'm not so sure that's that's working today. But if you want to have your look and feel resonate with with the group or similar group of people, then yeah, that can that can work well in social media. But to actually use social media to sell. I'm not so sure that really works anymore. And I'm, I'm not the guru. You might actually be more the guru than I, Dan, in that. But I, I'm not so convinced. We get so many posts and so much information overload uh, through social media, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram or what have you. And I'm just not so sure that I'm clicking there to go buy something. Now, if it was a video that I'm watching and there's some in-video transaction that I want to click on, that's a whole other story. That'll mm. be great. But uh, but we'll hear more about that later when we talk with Andrew from Spotful. For sure. And uh, and content strategy is important. You, you want to sort of, these days, you have to give your customers added value to, to visiting the store or the, the Facebook page. And, you know, pushing pushing uh, the sales job on them is not necessarily the, the most effective strategy. As we've said before, you have to create the why. Why is somebody going to walk into your store? Why is somebody going to buy your product? Why is somebody going to enlist or, you know, join that membership or get your service, there's got to be a reason why, whether it's social responsibility, whether it's, uh, you know, it just happens to be fits a need because nobody else out there is doing it and it's unique, whether it's just uh, something, some crazy off the cuff thing that somebody says, I need that because nobody else has it. But the, the reason you have to create the why, we've said it so many times on the program, it applies online just as it does apply to bricks and mortar. The uh, battle over trademarks between Sleep Country Canada and Sears, uh, what could we learn about uh, about that dicey issue? I think it's just a question of making sure your trademark is actually, making sure your tagline, your name, whatever you want is actually trademarked because you never know who out there is going to take advantage. Sleep Country, you know, had, you know, the, the, the best sleep, I don't even remember what it was, but Sears use a similar line that Sleep Country had. Now, Sears is technically much bigger, regardless of the fact that they're going to fall soon, I'm sure editorial comment but sleep country who's had this this line out there forever said you know what i don't care i trademarked it x number of years ago i'm gonna go with it now it's not just a question about trademarking it it's a question about how long have you had it as trademark how comfortable it how often is it used there's got to be a number of factors that go into it before you can argue or win your injunction if that's what you're actually going to do bottom line is you people people think of protecting their intellectual property people think of protecting their their software and their you know their uh, I, I guess whatever they spend their shred credits on all the development but people don't necessarily think of protecting their tagline people don't necessarily think of saying i got something so catchy 
why don't I protect that? And that you can trademark. I, I'm not a lawyer, not a barrister, I'm not a solicitor for most things. But if you don't protect that, that catchy line that you're going to be using for decades, then somebody else will come and grab it. This is an interesting uh, startup in the health sector. Um, they are uh, basically allowing you to see a doctor without leaving work. This is, uh, you know, I, I was just waiting for this. I mean, there, there's the evolution of the health field is is quite something. Online convenience, we we hear about it, we talk about it so often. Now it's come to the health sector, and it's not that it's not been there for a while, but it is still fairly nascent in its in its lifestyle, lifespan, lifestyle creation. Call it what you want, and. This is great. I know people are going to be a little skeptical. How the hell are you going to diagnose something through your mobile data? However, you can possibly do some basic stuff. You know, I'm not feeling this. They can take pictures. They can take a video of whatever they need to take a video of so the doctor can see. Uh, you know, it might be censored or privacy data or what have you. But th that information can actually translate into product productivity because if you have these big companies you have these large law firms or big conglomerates and they can save on people going to the doctor because it's at least half a day uh, or if you're in Quebec it could be a day or so uh, we won't go into couple that years maybe a couple of years uh, th then it can actually even be more productive so maybe it's worthwhile for companies to get on board and say hey you know what we'll get a package we'll let our employees join this and at least it's basic coverage so that if there's some brief thing that they can check then they can save a lot of time. Real quick, I, I like the story. Why are bonuses not always the best way to motivate employees? Because money doesn't drive people all the time. It's very simple. So what does drive people? It's going to be different with everybody. But you know, you have to know your people and drive them. Maybe it's time off. Maybe it's a weekend away. Maybe it's a, f a full fur coat. Maybe maybe it's a, a ride in a helicopter for, uh, for a day. Who knows? Recognition. Just it's just basic recognition, but money does not drive everything. Certainly not today. Thanks very much. And coming up, we'll chat with Andrew Murray of Spotful. That is on the way. And, of course, tax advice towards the end of the program. But first, 715 CJAD 800 traffic. Here's Kira. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you. And uh, Josh, you know, we can make the show completely about Montreal startups in the tech sector if you wanted to. And, and here tonight is another example of that. It, it's absolutely amazing. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a city that is filled with that. Between that and the gamers, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> welcome, Andrew Murray of Spotful. Uh, well, welcome to the program, Andrew. Thanks very much, guys. Happy to be here. So first question is the easiest. What is Spotful? Uh, tell us what, you, uh, what this company is all about. Yeah, of course. So Spotful is a tech technology company that provides tech for uh, video publishers to be able to embed any type of web functionality inside of shareable video. So any type of functionality that a business or a, you know, a video blogger depends on, like e-commerce, signups, Google Maps, whatever it happens to be, we're able to support that in video and send it viral. So instead of, you know, in like an ad over a YouTube video, this is uh, an app really within the video. That's right. Yeah. We focus on being able to weave kind of functionality and uh, and really kind of conversion and growth right into video storylines. Can you give a bit of an example, like where somebody could see that I'm watching a video and I'll click on something to make it happen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we work with uh, we work with pretty much every type of company you can imagine, from insurance to travel to the music industry. So you can imagine you're watching a, a great video blog of your friends in, in Brazil. 
well, we've got technology to enable you to kind of click on that location and see really like the Expedia booking engine that will get you there in that moment during that experience. So we're completely focused on weaving kind of that that moment of, of transaction, I guess, or, or commitment into a video storyline. Now, how long ago did this start? Like, where did this uh, idea come from? So Spoffle's been in business now for about four years, about three and change. Um, we actually started in the art space. Um, I'm from Halifax, and uh, I used to volunteer quite a bit in uh, on, on arts boards and with galleries, events, stuff like that. And something I noticed was that they were, you know, publishing a huge amount of video. And... Um, the first version of Spotful was uh, was an experience where you would would be able to tour a gallery or see an artist talk or something like that, and actually reach out and click on a piece of artwork sitting in the background, and you know access uh, the the artist story, understand like where the inspiration came from, this like the background of that piece, and ultimately buy the painting. Um, when it came out of the tank, you know the first version. It uh, Spoffle could support end-to-end -end transaction inside video, and that was really exciting for us. It was kind of a happy accident in many ways, and the business sort of grew from there. But your background has nothing to do with software development <laughs> or anything like that. No, you're, you're a neuroscientist, a background, anyways. That's right. Yeah. So when uh, when I was building the first version, when we were kind of collaborating on this project way before it became a, a company or a business. Um, yeah, Spoffle was a side project, and uh, I was studying neuroscience, doing my master's at uh, Dalhousie, and my focus was on human learning um, and behavior. So I was really interested in how human beings connected with one another, how memories got formed and lasted. And so Spoffle's original sort of architecture and interactions were based around real conversation. And I believe, and you know, our whole team really gets beyond the fact that that's, uh, that's why it works. You know? How did your training guide the business? I'm, I'm curious because it seems like, um, like we're trying to get more convenience out of our, our tech and, and even just a couple extra clicks is, is a couple too many sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like most, it's like Josh was saying in the intro, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the content that we see now, we know that content's king and, and, and that's become very real for businesses, for uh, every type of media publisher. Right, whether I'm an Instagram star, an influencer, or I'm or I'm a travel company, like uh, video is is currency. Um, but there's so much of it now, and and Spotful has been built around the fact that, you know, we have to gain a new, we have to gain a certain respect for our customer, our audience, give them the ability to interact, understand the attention graph, and and kind of build to that. So, you know. In interactive video, there are a lot of there are a lot of body bags along that road. There are a lot of people who have attempted what we've built um, and have failed. Right? When we kind of drill down on the uh, on the reasons why this is working today, I think that the fundamental reason is is respect for that audience and respect for the publisher. Build something in the way that people want to consume. And I believe you said it to me in an off-air interview. Sell it. And it will come. When we come back from the break, we'll we'll look at the first few days of Spotville with Andrew. We're chatting about uh, Spotville with Andrew Murray on today's Entrepreneur Tonight. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
This evening, we're chatting with Andrew Murray of Spotful. This is a, a tech company that uh, puts apps and uh, and technology embedded into the video, so you can watch a video uh, and interact with the product at the same time. And you know, when you're talking to Andrew, and he, you know, he said he started about you know three and a half, four years ago, but when he started and he went to go sell, it was maybe a little bit before this product actually existed. Uh, so Andrew, maybe you can kind of fill in the gaps or tell us uh, that story and how you kind of lived by the sell it and it will come. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think our story is similar to a lot of uh, Canadian startups, a lot of Canadian companies. We, um, you know, w- when faced with challenges with access to capital, growth funds and stuff like that, um, Spotful was started uh with really advanced sales, or that's what, that's what we call it today. So we had a great kind of PowerPoint deck, some, some awesome sort of animations of what the product would look like. Of course, that was at a point where we had proven that we could do what we mm-hmm. were going to do. Um, and we immediately went to customers. There, 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 was no, there was no ramp up. There was, there was no, okay, let's build an executive summary and let's get a great business plan together. That was never like a train of thought that entered into like our company. It was like, Look, we we know we can do this. We know that it could look like that if we had a couple great customers behind this. Um, let's go talk to them. Was it tough getting through the front door at first? I mean, it's a brand new product. There weren't too many people out there that were doing this at the time. I don't believe. Um, you know, Josh, it, I don't really remember. It was a. I don't remember having a huge amount of trouble getting in there. I think uh, you know, if you're if you're motivated, um, you've got something that you're really excited about. There's not a lot of people who can turn you down, um, who can kind of shut down the volume on that. So we wound up in a lot of great rooms, um, telling a story that we really believed. So was that your was your marketing pounding the pavement? Like, how did they know about Spotful or? A hundred percent. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Like uh, we had no kind of social media behind that, no marketing budget, nothing like, nothing like this. It was really, you know, I believed from day one that if I could go out there, show this to people, convince them that it was real, then build something great around that, that drove data, that drove success, then that's a business case that I can leverage up, um, really as as far as I can go. So, and, and, and that proved true. And even today, you know, like it, it seems like a bit of a reckless strategy and we chatted about this offline, but, uh, um, and, and it is a hundred percent. I admit that. However, today it still drives 100% of our product development. We develop, um, client first. So I will never expand into like a new, a new territory or into like a new kind of feature. I will never invest in anything as a company unless I've got a client sitting in front of me saying, I want this and I'm willing to pay for it. So we're still doing that, right? Well, that's great. I, you know, certainly there there might be other marketing initiatives that have kind of taken their own lead on your social media, but we'll talk about that when we come up back from, back from the break. And of course, you need a team around you to make, th- make sure these get done. So we'll chat about that as well. Also some tips on international taxes as we are in the month of March, uh, leading up to, of course, the big deadlines. Uh, but first at 7... 7- For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 
735. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL's Josh Miller. And another example tonight of a very interesting tech startup here in Montreal, Spotful. Andrew Murray joins us, and this is a company that produces uh, video content, and more specifically, interactive video content. So unlike those ads on YouTube that are sort of popping into your face, this is actually part of the content, so you can really dive into your videos. It's it's super interesting, and, uh, and, and certainly they... The amount of information that that you might be collecting as people are clicking on must be huge. I know, I know, Dan. We we've spoken about big data, Internet of Things before on the program, but I'll, I'll kind of turn to Andrew and say you you must over the last little while be collecting a huge amount of this what they call big data. Absolutely, guys. It's a uh, um, it's a completely new data set. We the media space has really never seen this before, um, and that's that's what excites us and a lot of our clients. Um, and that can simply be explained by the fact that, you know, when we report and measure data, um, it's not in terms of just a video. The video has become a platform. It's become a website, right? So when I come back to you as a client and tell you what your data looks like on that video, I'm not reporting views, engagement, or like time spent. I'm going way beyond that. I'm telling you um, actual page views. I'm telling you um, engagement rates that are in the 40s, 50s, 60s percent. Right, and I'm telling you actual in-video conversions. So I can tell you, you know, how many, how many signups or or transactions that that video was responsible for. When you went into Spotful to begin with about three and a half years ago, did you think it would spin off such a great amount of data? I don't know. It was a. Uh... It was abstract. We, you know, again, we were, doing, <laughs> we were doing advanced sales, right? We were, we were having a great time. We were getting this out there. And, and yeah, of course, I mean, at some point, uh, we envisioned building a platform around it like this where people can manage it and see it. Um, but uh, what, what we're seeing now is bigger than what we ever thought. So the fact that you have more conversions than YouTube in terms of people interacting with the content, how why is, is the product uh, a more evolved version of what's on YouTube right now? Is it because it's sort of uh, a very interactive, immersive experience? Yeah, kind of, Dan. I mean, like, it, it comes down to the actual user or the, or the audience's experience. How do you want to buy something? Do you want to, like, you know, if I'm going to buy a, a ticket to a Rihanna show, right? I'm going to buy into her tour, um, but I'm going to... I get engaged into that idea through a music video. Do I want to like click on an annotation in that video in order to, and cut the audio, the visual and link out to a flat catalog where I'm seeing, you know, my, my different options. Spotful is introduced an opportunity to like actually make that buy a part of your viewing experience. You know, it's not intrusive. It's not, it's not breaking anything down. It's actually bringing you closer to the publisher. And that's why I say, you know, like the, the platform has been built fundamentally on this, on this idea of respect, respect for the publisher's goals and respect for the audience's experience. And I think that uh, both sides of the coin really demand that today. Now, technology obviously plays this huge role in it. Has it changed in, since you started? I mean, is, it must be moving so so rapidly. How do, how do you keep up? How do your developers keep up? And at what point do you trigger, oh, we better kind of change a certain platform or a certain look? Well, yeah, it's it's developing developing extremely quickly right now. Um, we came in at a very opportune time. We got very lucky with that. We we built in in languages that were more versatile, more flexible than than other other attempts at this in the past. Um, so we got lucky in that regard. But in terms of you know competition and 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 market demand, um, we talked to a lot of customers. We we have about a thousand 
active uh, enterprises using Spotful right now. And, and they will tell us very quickly what they want, what they want to achieve out of video. When you open up this kind of Pandora's box to, to major businesses, major enterprises, um, they've got the marketing teams. They've got the guys who can sit at that meeting and tell you, well, if you're, if you're giving us the opportunity to support any web function inside those videos, this is how we want to measure success. And and we will, you know, we're committed to coming to the table to make that possible. Do you so do you do that in a proactive way, or you just basically your customers are reaching out to you saying, no, we want more of that? It's a little bit of both. I mean, we we monitor the market very very closely, obviously, but uh, we've got enough exposure and enough like great kind of uh, a large diverse client base that uh, it it comes to us pretty quickly too. And again, we we develop client first. So when a new feature shows up, it's because someone showed up to to our our office and asked us for it, right? Now it takes a I'm sure a phenomenal team to to keep this going and to to really be that much more creative and and think out of the box. So talk to us a little bit about the first few days, you know, the the first team and 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 how it kind of grew from there. Um, yeah, we have a phenomenal team. Um, our, our company, my first team started in my apartment in Rosemont. Uh, we were there for, I think six or seven months before my, my girlfriend now, now fiance kicked us out. But, um, uh, yeah, we, we hired off Kijiji. We bring, we brought people in from kind of all walks. Uh, we were, we were looking for developers in the early days. Uh, I was doing all product design. So that was before the product was, um, sexy and sleek like it, like it is now. But, uh, um, yeah, we, we've kind of, the team's grown out hugely over that time. You're, how many are you today about? We are 25. I believe. Now, you're when you hire do you have a certain philosophy do you go out and hire the best of the best do you i mean you found them on kijiji you're not going to find headhunters or recruiters do you look for skill attitude like what's your philosophy when you're hiring um so this has been a tough one for us we, we we've we've tried a lot of different things uh we've had a lot of advice from investors both uh the right investors and the wrong investors we we've gone through that like a lot of a lot of uh companies have um our philosophy at the very beginning was uh, honestly that, that we didn't want to hire great people. I don't want this super experienced guy who's, who's been 30 years in the business and knows this in and out. I want someone who's um, hungry, interested, super connected to the product and is willing to kind of put a lot on the line along with me because I don't have, co I don't have co-founders, right? Mm -hmm. So I consider my whole like core team, my co-founders. So I want people who are not necessarily great, but are good and can become great through the development of the company and the product. And that's what has kind of built our family. Do you find that, that using that style, they stay almost more attached to, to the company? They feel that much more a part of it because somebody gave them a chance? Absolutely. I mean, you know, at the beginning, yes, a hundred percent, and and that was the philosophy. What, what I've what I've found through that is, you know, the guys who work with me today, the the guys who work out of our office and in our other office, even even like our international sort of offices in Europe and and Japan, um, they they're committed to the product in the way that you don't see teams usually. And at the beginning, it was all about you know. I can empower them to to 
become, yeah, connected. It was a retention strategy and all that other stuff that's really important. But at the end of the day, like now, when I, when I look around the room, like they're true leaders. And we've built a culture of entrepreneurship here where I can send any one of those guys out from like the, the back-end engineer to the BD guy who's doing 100 calls a day um, to any event, any, any show like this, and they can rep the product as, as well as I can. Now, you, you talk about culture. You talk about different locations here, Japan, Europe. Yeah. How, do you, how do you maintain that culture across the various countries? How do you maintain that consistency in such a varied group or varied, varied parts of the world? Um, in, or you uh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> we've done it through the product. Yeah. Um, and, and this is really, really interesting. So um, we've tried to take the culture, uh, you know, you know the, things, the thing that binds us together, we've designed it directly into the front end of this product which is the sales strategy as well, everything else. So, you know, when I sit down with a team in in Japan and we talk about why people buy this product and why it's important to put it in their hands, they they know the values that this company is built on because you can see them in the product. There's no obtrusive ads. There's no bullshit. There's 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 nothing jumping out at you. There's no kind of... uh, there, there's nothing that's not in line with our com- like our company values, and so it, it it tends to naturally attract people that are excited about technology, that see great opportunity, and that love getting into these types of conversations about you know where your communication, your message, and your story is going to evolve to. Right. I think it's you know just to just to keep track and to keep everybody on the same page and you know all throughout the world is is quite something and it's it's a great aspect an entrepreneurial aspect of that international business which is just the segue of going into the next uh, segment right Dan yes uh, permanent establishment issues you taught me what that was five minutes ago Josh uh, capital gains exemptions and more Nick Moreta's tax partner at FL uh, with some tax talk that is coming up plus Andrew's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way but first seven forty five. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L.'s Josh Miller with you. Andrew Murray was spotful as our guest this evening, and Andrew's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur is on the way. But first, some tax talk. Nick Moretis is here, tax partner at F.L. Of course, it's that time of the year, and uh, time to talk about uh, international taxes. Uh, Welcome back, Nick. Hi there, Dan. And, you know, we were just before the break, we were talking with Andrew and how he has locations, not just here, but Europe and Japan. And uh, there, I'm, I'm sure, Nick, that, uh, and we only have like, you know, five minutes. I'm sure you can talk for two hours and five minutes, but I'm sure there's, there's a lot of challenges that entrepreneurs need to know when they have their businesses and their operations scattered throughout the world. Uh, and this becomes a little bit more tricky when you're looking at Andrew's line of business where, where it's, it's software, it's applications. Uh, that can sell anywhere in the world. And the governments today are trying to figure out how to tax these products that are coming in anywhere out of the world. Um, And a lot of the rules that we have, which are negotiated uh, through the organization, uh, the OECD, uh, which uh, helps uh, provide uh, examples for treaties, tax treaties between the countries, a lot of it is based upon physical, physicality. Where is your office located? Well, if it's located in country A, well, then country A will tax whatever you do in that office. If you have a plant, uh, a mine, that's, that's, countries can understand that. But what if you have an app 
and it goes anywhere. And I, as a consumer, go onto the internet. Uh, like, how do you tax Google? They don't have to physically be in Canada. They can be on the moon, from what I understand. If you they might use be. Satellites. They, they, may, they may very well be. So how do you tax that? And that is a, an enormous battle. Uh, because you, yeah, And that's what we're trying to figure out. So we know that um, where my website is, is not a place necessarily that you're going to tax. Um, where my website provider is, not necessarily. Where my servers are usually is where they're going to look to say, okay, there's that server. Presumably, it's doing something other than just storing data, which is an out. You don't tax that. So it becomes very complicated. And when you're setting up um, these foreign places, it's very easy to say, I'm going to open up an office in Japan. It's going to be owned by myself here in Canada. Whatever that Japanese entity is going to do is going to produce results. You will pay tax in Japan on that entity. But what if you don't need that entity per se there? You, you, you can subcontract to some people who will uh, act in, in the f way you want them. They could be market developers. They can be just software developers. But the sales to all your clients, your 1,000 clients that you were saying, is happening here somewhere. Or it's happening somewhere else. Again, on the moon perhaps. How, do, how does Canada tax that? And that's the, 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 the draw here with international taxation with this this cloud business that I call, it's not those fluffy white things as a kid that made animals when you lay, lay back on the grass. We look at now, your gray hair. And yeah, well, that's out. that's the problem. I was very, I had a lot of trepidation coming in here talking about something that some, escapes me and listening to you guys before. What about the, but the, the people also, the people that are on the ground, you were kind of alluding to it, that must also really play a big role in what their ability is to, to work to conclude. Well, well, then, and this ties in with international, you're usually looking at where are you taxing, what is it that, what profit are we taxing? Uh, we can have people all over the world in little offices, and you can tell them, listen, your your job is to do this from 8 to 5, and we're paying you X, and, and the entity that you're working for is going to make a, a profit of Y. But the real income that these firms are generating is off the sales coming off from wherever. That profit, that intellectual property is where? It's sitting where? Who owns it? It's located in which jurisdiction? And that and then what usually happens, uh, Josh, and, and, and in, in international planning, if you're going to be in Japan, and Japan is a high-tax country, Country. Well, I want to keep it keep my profits down low, so because it doesn't make sense for me here in Canada. Mm. But where is that where is that intellectual property coming from? Who's going to tax it? Do I put it on the moon because there's no taxation on the moon? And yet. If I can figure yet, if I can figure out a way to do that and get the money back here into my pocket, that's what we will do, and and that's part of the international plan. And so that's why it's uh, it's nebulous here. No, it's it's def definitely a gray zone. We when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more on the permanent establishment and 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 of course how it affects if the you sell your Canadians, business yes. for Canadians. If you sell your business, how do you make sure you can get the most out that's of the right. capital gains exemption? Plus, Andrew Murray's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneurs next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. We'll have Andrew's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. But first, Dick Moretis is with us, tax partner at FL, talking about international tax issues. And Josh, uh, why don't we start with, uh, you have a business to sell perhaps, and you sell it abroad. Uh, how do you maximize the return? And and I think that's the thing. You know, you start off in in one jurisdiction and the business grows. You know, you know Andrew's a great example of that, and it kind of goes beyond the borders. But 
ultimately you're not keeping it forever. You're ultimately probably going to sell it down the road. The question is, how do you minimize that tax? How do you get that capital gains exemption if there's all different moving parts in different parts of the world? Well, we've discussed it on this show before. Capital gains deduction is available for entrepreneurs who sell the shares of a, of a qualifying business. And one of the qualifying business requirements is that you're conducting business in Canada. So if your business here is the owner of your subsidiaries or your sister companies located all over the world, all of a sudden the value of your business is not because of the business you're doing here, it's because of the business you're doing offshore, which then does not grant you that capital gains deduction. And we've seen people stumble into that because usually the simplest thing to do, I have my business here, let it open up the subsidiary in Japan, off we go, Japan takes off, and all of a sudden you're out and, and, and mm -hmm. there's nothing we can do. So usually we end up looking at structures to try to preserve the Canadian unit sort of as, as a side company and the international operations as another side company. So when you do sell, the part that is Canadian that qualifies, you can be as a vendor cashing in your exemption, and the part that you're selling that is the international, you will be paying tax uh, here in Canada, because that that's not uh, what's given. The only other thing I wanted to add, uh, when you a price a permanent establishments is what dictates which country is going to tax you where you are. But the other stuff you have to look at, and we we see it a lot with Americans opening up business here, is they ignore domestic law. It, it, just because uh, we're, we're, we have a very rigorous legal system here, doesn't mean that where you're going to has the same laws here. So consult. Uh, with your advisors. The other thing we're finding is if they can't get you on income tax, they will get you on sales tax or VAT, the value-added tax that 150 countries around the world have. And and that's what they're really trying to get at. At least that way, the consumer is going to be paying something to buy something off the internet, and that's what they're attacking. And they get very, very nasty if you've been escaping. And I think, Josh, you've lived through some experiences. They can be very, very nasty. And the final element that we'll mention is if we can't get you on income tax, it can't get you on sales tax, they'll re they'll call whatever it is that you're paying in between companies for the, the rights to access uh, licenses or, or fees or management. They'll change it and they'll call it something else that, will f that they'll be able to tax. So if you're paying a management fee, mind when we call it a royalty, and I can tax a royalty here in Canada where it might not be able. It's, so it's, it's international in the field that Andrew is in, very exciting, very tough, but that's something to keep in mind. Just before we get to your one piece of advice, Andrew, you know, neuroscientist, software developer, did you have to... How did you deal or how did you personally under, start understanding all this complexity in your own business? Or did you leave it to the professionals? Huh. Um, Just quickly before we get to your Josh, last piece. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a reoccurring issue. Um, uh, you have to leave it to the professionals. Don't ever try to like extend yourself into your, into, into your zone of kind of weakness in order to try and like fill in those gaps. That is foolish. That's ridiculous. I've seen a ton of people do it. I've seen myself do it many, many times. It's uh, the biggest mistake that any entrepreneur can make. So now that we you, we finish on that thought with you, let's turn to, we're in the last moment of the show, and ask you, Andrew, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Um, especially, our, especially Canadian entrepreneurs, I would say... Um, the biggest thing is know yourself, know what you are actually trying to get out of your company and your project and your business, uh, your startup, if, it, if, if it's at that level. I think uh, we're asked very often as entrepreneurs in the early stages, um, investors will sit in front of you and say like, what does this company look like in five years? What, what are you trying to do here? Is this an exit play? Is this a, t tell me about this. We never have answers for it because we always think it's BS. Um, 
drill on that, dig very, very deep and figure out what the answer is for you because it will change a million times. And if you don't lock it early, you can lose track of it. Thanks very much, Andrew Murray of Spotful for dropping up by this evening. We appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Thanks to Nick as well, tax partner at FL. And then next week on the show, Josh, we'll talk to a, a guy who I've interviewed just organically here at CJD, uh, Jesse Herbert from Oopsmark. He's an inventor. This is the guy that built the uh, the bicycle the wine bicycle rack. bicycle wine yeah, rack. Yeah, I know. Je- Jesse Herbert, yeah. Next Monday at 7. Don't forget to listen to past episodes uh, of Today's Entrepreneur at flmontreal.com. Click on the community section, and we'll see you next week. Good night.